0: Mm -hmm. Hello, hello everyone. I missed my reading on Friday because I had a lot to do on Friday. I went to a funeral of an elder who was very important to me um, and um, was asked to even read the obituary at the funeral and was honored to do so. Uh, It was a beautiful funeral the preaching was good the stories were good and um though there's sadness he was an elder and um has moved on and i say it's beautiful because when elders can pass and have you can have good stories to tell about them it's always a beautiful thing it's always a good thing and this world is so shitty, Ted. You know, you just feel like, man, if you could just pass on to somewhere where there's peace. Okay, so let's get into God is Red. Let's finish. And next week, I'm going to be reading another chapter from this because I don't do enough on Native Americans. So I'm going to try to do that more. More... Um, Maybe I'll do some some African, some Asian. I want to get a lot of different things into um, my channel. A lot of different reads. In addition to the sentimental anthologies, a number of books were rushed into print and hopefully to be to judgment. They were little more than editing jobs on reports to government agencies. Among them was American Indians and Federal Aid by Alan Sorkin a study done by the Brookings Institute under a grant for Donner Foundation. The book featured numerous tables demonstrating Indian poverty, but was devoid of any mention of the forces then moving in Indian affairs that sought to combat poverty and racism. Big Brother's Indian Programs with Reservations by Saul Leventon and Barbara Hetrick, a study funded by the Ford Foundation was published shortly after Sorkin's book. It was distinguishable from Sorkin's book chiefly through its use of photographs as if there really were Indians alive today, its big words and its utter lack of knowledge about hiring Indians. In the fall of 1972, there were no less than 75 books on American Indians released. Most staggered into print received few reviews and collapse. It was plain that the initial phase of interest in Indians was over. Then, just before election day, the trail of broken treaties arrived in the nation's capital, ready to do battle with the Nixon administration. In little over a week, the administration, the tribal leaders, and a great segment of the American public sat stunned as the Indian activists completed their destruction of the Bureau-collected some $66,000 in travel money from the federal government and set off to terrorize the headquarters of some tribes and BIA field officers. Somehow, American Indians had arrived in the 20th century. In order to understand why this particular event occurred, we must try to understand the reception that modern Indians received when they have tried to communicate their immediate problems to an uncomprehending society. He's <laughs> still as uncomprehending as ever, I'm telling you. When a comparison is made between events of the civil rights movement and the activities of the Indian movement, one thing stands out in clear relief. Americans simply refuse to give up their long-standing conceptions of what an Indian is. It was this fact more than any other that inhibited any solution of the Indian problems and projected the impossibility of their solution anytime in the future. People simply could not connect what they believed Indians to be with what they were seeing on their television sets. Let us pretend that the black community received the same reception in the civil rights struggle that the American Indian community received when its movement was attracting public attention in its struggle. Mm, I don't know. Did the natives make out better than us? Right now, there are less of them than there are of us in numbers. But they do have the res. The res is not a good place, but they can have their own schools. They do their own language. Um... Okay, they can do their own language, they have their own schools, and they've going back to their traditions, black people, especially black Americans, Tubman's babies we have we're being displaced, unstable housing, um food insecurity, so I don't know, I mean, I don't know if um, we were treated well. Yeah, some laws get passed on paper, but then we get terrorized and nobody does anything about it. So, In 1954, and the Supreme Court has just handed down its famous case, Brown v. Top- Topeka Board of Education, the civil rights movement is beginning to get underway. Soon there is a crisis in Montgomery, Alabama, and Dr. Luther- Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., begins to emerge as a credible leader of the civil rights forces. At a news conference, King is asked about the days on the old plantation. He attempts to speak of the bus boycott. Excuse me. But the news media rejects his efforts. It wants to hear about Uncle Tom, the famous black black of literature. The news conference ends with the newsmen thoroughly convinced that King is merely a troublemaker, that everything is fine down on the old plantation, and that everything will be alright if the blacks simply continue to compose spirituals. Sympathetic supporters stand in the background dressed in slave costumes, cheering him on. Two books are published recounting the blessed days of slavery on the one hand, and the cultural achievements of tribes of black Africa, and the 1300s on the other. There are almost immediate success, successes on the bestsellers list. The American public now worries about the Muslims confronting the primitive tribes of the interior of the African continent and changing their culture. Muhammad becomes a public villain in a desperate effort to raise the issue of civil rights in American society. Martin Luther King Jr. writes, Stride Toward Freedom. Outside of a few people who seem to intuit that things are not well down South, King's ideas are ignored. Two black writers, James Baldwin and Leroy Jones, published books that have a sporadic, perfunctory reception, and they are ignored. I I forgot to turn up my volume on it. Oh, no, I did. Okay, good. Um... What did I want to say about this? I just had an idea in my head. So... So we're still in denial about our condition. And we're still in trouble. um, And it's gotten worse and worse and worse. It's gotten to the point where you're going to have to end racism some kind of way for the rest of humanity to even function. The movement continues to grow with television coverage and feature-length descriptions of poverty conditions of the Black community, prefaced by quotations from Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver to the effect that Blacks should remain separate until earning the right to participate in American society. The Freedom Rides began sparking a series of anthologies of Negro spirituals about traveling to the promised land. A Negro travel book showing the great migrations in Africa in the 1300s becomes a bestseller. Boy scout groups drop their camping activities and begin to perform minstrel shows complete with authentic black dialogue. Finally, the movement grows intense as plans are made for a march on Washington. People rush here and there, preparing for the march. The activists down in the deep south are in trouble. Some have been killed for attempting to register voters on the literary front. However, things are different. A new book, Bury My Heart at Jamestown, has rocketed to the top of the bestseller list. More than 20,000 copies a week are being purchased. People reading the book vow never again to buy and sell slaves. Sympathy for the slaves is running at a fever pitch, while Martin Luther King Jr. is downgraded, downgraded because he doesn't speak for all the Negroes. As the march gets underway, television finds a new hero, Phil Hand Boggs, an elderly black who claims to be 101 years old and the nephew of Nat Turner, is discovered almost simultaneously by the New York Times and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Phil Han Boggs has copied 13,000 words from The Uncle Tom Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe, and and is passing it off as notebooks, laboriously compiled over a century of struggle. Phil Han Boggs becomes the number one folk hero of America, and he recounts for thrilled television audiences his glimpse of Abraham Lincoln and General Grant sitting on the White House lawn the day that he gains his freedom. The march is conducted in virtual isolation. I did a lesson on, I did some lessons, some videos on Uncle Tom's cabin. Need to watch it. As the civil rights movement proceeds, the literature shifts its emphasis. Old government and foundation reports complete the charts and graphs are trotted out with fancy duck uh, dust jackets that make them appear to be the latest battle communiques from Atlanta. Anthologies of spirituals become very popular, and those that are interspiced with faded photographs of slaves working in the cotton fields prove the most popular. Introductions to these anthologies um, inform us that we must become we must come to understand the great contributions made by slaves to our contemporary culture. More than ever, one contemporary reads, the modern world needs the soothing strains of sweet chariot to assure us that all is well. And finally, Watts, as the section of Los Angeles burns, people resolve to do better. Government officials ask for full prosecution of the rebels all the while handing out $100 bills to the rioters and advising them to go back to Virginia and South Carolina and send no more. A task force is created of officials of various government departments to study the federal relationship of civil rights problems and to report back in its findings no later than six months after the authorization. Um, in the summer of 1967, Spontaneously, in all parts of the country, professional and amateur archaeologists invade black graveyards. They disinter skeletons, label them, and send them to the city museums for display. Down south, people rush to isolation, to isolated slave graveyards with bulldozers, hoping to find some artifacts that time of that time when it was possible to own a human being. The National Park System locates sites where the Underground Railroad once ran and sets them aside for tourists, charging a minimal fee. Anthropologists rush to the defense of the looter, explaining that it is necessary for the anthropologists to have the bones of blacks because they derive immense scientific knowledge from them, but they refuse to push any reports of this precious information. So he's talking a lot about what was going on in the black community um, these two communities are very linked some natives tried to um, they assimilated to whiteness and took slaves I think the Cherokee took a lot, had a lot of black slaves so there's that and um, so the, some, some natives help slaves escape. So, you know, you have uh, a relationship there. But they're all trying to fit in under the domination of these um, violent colonialists, invaders, if you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, that will destroy anything that they can't control. And that's basically it. Now, um, I think we're still in a situation where we're trying to deal with violent people who will destroy anything that they can't control. And um, some days I feel like we could win But I'm going to tell you why I'm optimistic um, In the sense That this will change Um, Climate change The natural world Is bringing everyone to heal And sure Poor black people and natives Are going to suffer more From storms and tornadoes and all that Because we're living in Um cheaper housing and we're more unstable but everybody's going to get theirs and everyone but the children really deserves what we're getting because we and when you know it you know it in your heart have allowed way too much brutality way too much injustice to go on and in the name of well I just have to do what I have to do for now. I have to do what I have to do to survive. And no, we should have been doing more political and social work (coughs) to make this system better. But instead we pretended like our own personal condition was more important and um, could make more of a difference. Than doing the social and political work. The group work. But human beings are group beings. Uh, We always were. And we always will be. And we're going to. Expand our mind and consciousness together. Or go extinct together. That's it. Until next time. I'm going to say. Take care of yourself. Be safe. And you know how to support. Hit the links. Um, You can give directly to me It would be much much appreciated And it goes to buy food um, And pay for incidentals If you want me to have more equipment Then you can send money for that If you have extra equipment And want to donate it to me I'll tell you where to send it Just let me know um, Until next time Take care and be safe.